and everyone looks at you for you're the decision maker or they look to your you know your physical your emotional reactions to see how you're feeling and they take their own views based on what they see with you uh, and that's where you really i guess feel the the loneliness uh, and the responsibility of, of, of being a chief executive From Positive Momentum, this is Meet the CEO, a show that takes you behind the scenes of the working lives of people who have reached what some might call the pinnacle of the career ladder. I'm Sarah Beauvalet, a partner at Positive Momentum, and on today's show, we are delighted to meet Stephen Cooper, CEO of Aldermore Bank. Part of the South African First Rand Group, Aldermore is formed of two entities, Aldermore Bank and Moto Nova Finance. The businesses provide finance to business owners, homeowners and landlords, as well as attractive saving products to the likes of me and you. If the brand is little known to you, it is well known to brokers across the UK through whom Aldermore distribute their finance. Stephen joined Aldermore in May last year after its founder, Philip Monk, stepped down. He brings a truly deep understanding of banking, having started his working life as a cashier in Barclays before an impressive acceleration into a number of leadership roles in Barclays, culminating with a role as the head of business banking in the UK. It is this hands-on experience at all levels of a bank which gives Stephen such a unique perspective on the needs of both his customers and his staff. Prior to joining Aldermore, Stephen was CEO at the UK's oldest privately owned bank, C. Hoare & Co. Stephen is also joint chair of the Social Mobility Commission and indeed was awarded a CBE in this year's honours list for his significant contribution to promoting social mobility. Stephen, welcome to meet the CEO. Now, of course, as we've just heard, this isn't your first CEO appointment, um, so you're clearly a glutton for punishment. Uh, do you mind if I start by asking you what it is that attracts you to the CEO? Why did you become a CEO? Yeah, thank you for having me, Sarah. Um, two reasons, I think. One is everybody kept telling me it was different being a, a group chief executive compared to a divisional chief executive, and they are right. And you don't really know what that's like until you are one, and we can talk about that later. And th the second reason, and I sought both roles out, they didn't just, just happen or didn't just come to me, was... I really love seeing what I can do with the business, the impact I can have, getting the best out of people, getting the best out of teams. I enjoy the interaction with customers. I enjoy making a difference to people's lives and you know the communities in which we operate. And some of that may sound trite, but that matters deeply to me. And I think if you enjoy what you do, and I do enjoy what I do, you feel good about getting up in the morning and going to work. And you know, chief executive is hard. You're doing it five, six, seven days a week. There's never really a, a day that you're completely off. So you've got to want to do it. And uh, I feel good about doing that. And I feel good about coming home and talking talk to my friends and family about what my day's been and the impact I've had on people. And yeah, I, I enjoy it. Okay, so so um, clearly uh, reasonably new into into Aldermore, and of course really interested to see uh, the difference that you will almost you know certainly make in Aldermore, um, and great to hear some of your motivations for that. Um, you mentioned, however, that it's hard, and of course, in a CEO role is um, I can imagine exceptionally hard. How do you um, how do you protect yourself? Uh, through that incredibly busy time in, in terms of what part of your day do you make sacrosanct? What do you preserve at all costs? 
I think there are, I don't know about it being sort of sacrosanct, but, um, well, maybe it is. I do two things. One is I make sure I, I exercise at least twice a week and I, I never miss that bit late, bit early, no matter what's going on, no matter if I'm traveling, I will not miss those two specific times. And, uh, I, and those two times I do specific exercising, heavy weights or boxing where, and I do it with other people. Uh, I have to focus and concentrate because if I don't, I'm going to drop something or I'm going to get punched around the face. So, um, uh, I focus hard on that and I can't think about anything else. And afterwards I'm re-energized and, and refocused. And sometimes it helps me think about something in a, in a different way. And I think the, the second bit is, and I, again, I try to do this every day is I speak to colleagues or I speak to customers or I speak to suppliers and you know that's real life. And I get from them what's really happening or a perspective or what's on the ground and how they think about us or how they feel about us. And, you know, there's no filtering of that. It is what it is. And, you know, a chief executive can often get told what people think they want to hear. And I'm very mindful of that. And I try to hear it from, you know, from the front end. And, uh, it, you know, you can correlate that with other data points. And, yeah, I, I, I make different decisions on the back of that. Interesting. I, I love that reference to, to real life. You know, we, we used to say in, in, well, in, a, in a role that I had, pre a leadership role I had previously with teams, when we were having a bad day, we used to say, just go out and see a client. <laughs> you know, yes, it enables you just, by that and, Absolutely. Yeah. And put things into perspective as well. So, so great to hear it um, from, from you also, Stephen. But of course, you know, we, we are in particularly challenging uh, climbs right now as we come out. Uh, I'm touching everything, as I say that, as we start to come out of the pandemic. Um, uh, interested to know what you would say has been the most challenging event or situation that you've encountered as a CEO and what, what you learned from it. You know, it's, it's interesting being a chief executive when the pandemic hits. I mean, we've got no, there's no playbook for that, right? Um, or not for most people anyway. So um, and I was at the time leading a business steeped in doing things traditionally, physically, manually, and doing it very well, by the way, it created advantage for itself to suddenly see we could replicate that in a virtual remote way. And we did, but it's tough for a while. And everyone looks at you for you're the decision maker, or they look to your, you know, your physical, your emotional reactions to see how you're feeling. And they take their own views based on what they see with you. Uh, and that's where you really, I guess, feel the, the loneliness uh, and the responsibility of, of, of being a chief executive. It's also supremely rewarding, but you do notice it. And I guess that's probably the best example I can say of what it's like to be a, a chief executive. You don't know until you're in that situation. Um, secondly, is it's that you're only as good as a team around you. If you end up making changes, it's hard. You know, you're talking about people uh, and they're often, often you get to know and like these people. But you also have to make some tough decisions, and that's never easy. Uh, you're impacting on people's lives, but if you don't do it, you're not doing the right thing for the business, a much wider group of colleagues within that business and customers. So that, that's always tough, but you, but you have to do it, and that's about doing it in the right way and being fair and transparent. I was, at, I was, at, I was running sort of personal banking for Barclays, and we had a big cost challenge. So we had the worst cost income ratio of the peer group. We weren't getting an advantage for that. No better customer satisfaction or better financial results. No better colleague satisfaction. And we had the lowest amount of, of automation and technology of the peer group. So I had to put a lot of automation and technology into the business, which meant, frankly, fewer people. Um, and uh, in the end, we took about 25% of people out of the business. Interesting for that time, and I did change the leadership quite a bit, Colleague engagement went up, the cost income ratio came the right way, and we had better products and services uh, as well. 
the point I'm getting to is I wouldn't have done that unless I was given the challenge, um, largely driven by investors saying, well, why are you here, you know, in terms of cost, but it's given you no advantage. Um, and that was a killer point, no advantage. Um, and what I learned from that is if you do things in the right way, and we did it, you know, honestly, openly, transparent, didn't hide anything from any colleagues, we just talked it through, um, put a lot of support around them, we made it super easy for people to make career decisions for themselves. But it taught me it's, you know, when your back is against the wall, it is amazing what you can achieve. So why not put yourself in that position more often? Don't wait until your back is against the wall. Because when there is a, you know, a, a burning desire or need to do something, then galvanize your team around you and uh, you can do some really great things. Yeah, that's, that's really, really useful advice. And actually, we spend a lot of time working with teams around communicating change, in, particularly in difficult environments, um, but most importantly, helping teams come to terms with uh, what that means for them personally. Um, and to your point, you know, the transparency and the honesty of that message is, is really the element that makes the key difference. So it's, it's, it's fabulous to hear you say that, Stephen. So, uh, you know, to have got to the point that you have clearly, um, and, and some of the learnings that you're sharing with us, I'm sure will have come from people that you've had the benefit of working alongside or under over the years. Who would you say has influenced you most in terms of the way you lead? There are, there are many people I've learned things from, uh, things what to do and, and things what not to do. I, I don't think I would have, if I've been successful in my career so far, it's, it's frankly because the people have helped me along the way, put an arm around me or opened a door for me or given me a kick when I need it because everyone needs that from, from time to time. I guess, you know, a couple of things that were that really shaped me maybe. One, I remember look, I was put onto the graduate program as a non-graduate in Barclays and I, I got promoted several times pretty quickly so got to a, a senior position at a very young age I was in a corporate business center lending money to to businesses and uh, I got seduced by this particular business and I couldn't work out what was wrong with it everything looked good it, instinctively something told me it was wrong anyway I did I, I lent them some money and very quickly it started to get to go bad and we were looking at losing, I think it's half a million pounds. And my boss, the, the, the business center manager, and ultimately this was his p and I was impacting by, by losing some money. And I told him, uh, and he just looked to me, uh, he was sat at his desk and just said very calmly, well, this would be the best amount of money Barclays could ever spend on your development and learning. That's all he said. Didn't raise his voice, didn't give me a hard time, nothing else. What a class act. Um, and actually I, I learned, you know, I started to doubt myself. I'm making poor decisions after that for two or three weeks. And then he said to me, you know, you know what you're doing, go back to doing what you were doing. And I did. Uh, and then I sort of got beyond that pretty quickly. By the way, we did get that money repaid more by luck than any sort of thing I did. But, um, he was just a, a real good leader. Didn't shout, didn't scream, didn't give me a hard time. You just felt reassured by him in terms of, you know, what you're doing, you know, these things happen learn from it, keep going. And then uh, again at the pandemic, and it's my first time being a, a group chief executive, so I'm going back to the other end of the career so far. And um, I noticed my, my boss, Lord Nick McPherson was, he just got, just got close to me uh, physically. So, you know, we've been meetings and some of it was virtual, some of it was still doing face to face and he'd just be, be around. And what he was basically 
signaling to me is just got confidence in you. You keep going, but I'm here. You're not on your own. And sometimes leaders, no matter how good you are, or you need that. Um, I mean, I don't think I have a particularly big ego, or at least not relative to, to, to some others, but uh, you just sometimes you just need that reassurance of having someone around you in case you need it, just signaling to you, you're not on your own, but also giving you confidence to, to move forward. There have been other people along the way. I mean, David Roberts, who, who uh, he still, you know, he chairs Nationwide still. He, he opened some doors for me along the way. Alison uh, Britton, who, who chairs, uh, also CEO Whitbread now. She was my boss for a bit and she brought me back from Africa. She, she, she took a chance on me. I think I repaid that in spades, but she was bold around making, I think, inspired hiring decisions. And so there's all these people along the way who, who I've learned from and they've definitely helped me and I, I stay in touch with them and uh, the likes of Tom Kalaris who had a difficult time towards the end of his Barclays career but he always made time for me he always allowed me just to get his perspective on things and the way he thought about things um, he, he was he, he was and still is a, a good friend of mine and I guess the final one I'll say Sarah I'm not sure I want to say his name but um, he's a friend and uh, and he was my boss for a while. Uh, he, he, he lives in the States. And um, I will say his name, actually. It's, it's Mike Amato. And he, well, I would go to Mike for a perspective on something. And he would always come up with a perspective I'd never thought about. Eight times out of 10, I think that's crazy. I'm not, you know, why do we even have the conversation? Two times out of 10, there'd be a nugget in there. Mm. And, and that's, frankly, that's what I used him for. Um, and he just always came up with that different thing. And I, and I learned, you know, make sure you've got people around you who think differently to you. You can't be completely different, but make sure you don't have everyone the same and fall into that trap of groupthink or the same experience because you won't get any alternative views, thoughts or perspectives. And yeah, I guess there's some, some of the big learns to me along the way. I love, I love all of those points. I mean, and I particularly love, Stephen, the point around... A, div a diverse team because we talk a lot about diversity we talk a lot about building diverse teams I think as a nation we're beginning to make some good progress on that now but of course there's no value in it unless you're listening to them if <laughs> you right. to say you're necessarily applying or agreeing but you know I see too many diverse teams where we're not effectively really leveraging what they can bring um, and and that's where the true value lies so that that's fabulous to hear um, and it's great to hear Alison mentioned. She's a, a friend to Positive Event and we know her well. So yes, lovely to hear her name mentioned as well. Um, good. So, so of course, you know, you, you talk about it being uh, at times a little lonely at the top. Uh, you're clearly supported also however, by a, a, a very effective leadership team. Um, what would you say is the secret to an effective executive team? It's the single most important ingredient to being a successful chief executive it's, it's all about the people you have around you um i think in my view competence you know technical competence that's a given um the ability to perform that's a given it's then really what do you get from those individuals that team around you do you trust them can they work together are they diverse and i don't just mean the the typical diverse measures of gender ethnicity um I particularly care about socioeconomic background, given my own background, but th those things are important. But what I really want is that diverse background and experience. So I have different views and thoughts around the table. Now that's got to be done in a respectful way. 
and you do need to lead. And sometimes it is to, you know, you're going to make a decision. It's, you know, it's not a, um, it's not a democracy. Um, you, you have to have those views, but equally a decision needs to be made. And there's one thing actually, and it was, it was Nick McPherson who said it to me, which is that sometimes you, you try to seek consensus more than you should. You know what you want to do. You know the answer. Just tell them. Uh, and I've done more of that, that since. I, I don't, that's not my natural style, but sometimes you have to do that. So it's, it's, for, for me, it's more about what you get from the individual, what you get, you know, what will they do with the team? Do they want to be there? What are the motivations? That's more important than the testing of the technical competence, because frankly, you expect that at, at a senior executive level. Mm. Okay. Okay. So, so, so um, effectively their motivation and their engagement with the role that they're in. And then to your point, the ability to leverage the information that, and the, the contribution that they bring, but then make the decision where necessary um, as a chief exec um, uh, in order to implement change effectively to make things happen. Right. Yeah. You want, you want, you want hunger for the role you want, in my view, you know, strong values want to to do the right thing in the right way, uh, good with their own teams. Um, but you also want people who, look, if you're going to make a decision on an executive table, even if you think that's the wrong decision, that's a decision that's made. I want that person to lead that decision through the organisation, not to put their own spin on it or to change it or water cooler conversations. If we agree that 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 decision, that message, whatever it is, they live that, they make it happen and they do it swan-like. So they may not like it inside, but you want them to be visually swan-like showing that leadership through the organisation. Um, hopefully, you know, hopefully you don't have many times we disagree on things like that, but you, you want, I think alignment is, is the key word. You want that team to be aligned. If they're aligned, good things happen. If it's yeah. not aligned, you know, if it's not aligned at the top level, that just gets much wider as you go throughout the organization. And that's really painful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So healthy challenge within the team and then cabinet responsibility in terms of the way you portray yourself as a team outside of it. Fantastic. Brilliant. So uh, as I mentioned, you know, we're hopefully kind of beginning to come out of the pandemic environment. What would you say is the biggest challenge that's uh, on uh, or the biggest change, I should say, that's on your horizon right now? at Aldermore? So I've got a lot of change going on at the business. You know, we're re refreshing the strategy and would have done that hopefully before the end of the year. Um, we've got some pretty big decisions to make around tech and tech affects every business, but um, it's amazing how quick tech becomes dated or, or doesn't create advantage for you. you know, it's, 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 it's not standstill at all. We're a relatively young business. Um, so I'm looking at where's the future growth, what's the capabilities uh, I need around us to, to achieve that. Um, and I think the, the final bit then really is around talent and how, how talent is thinking differently about the world as you come out of a pandemic around working arrangements, how do people want to lead their lives? Um, you know, if, you, if you're going to force people to come into an office five days a week, nine till five or longer, that's, that's not going to work. So it's about finding that balance, which in my view still involves being in a workplace with colleagues on a regular basis. 
Yes, and, and certainly uh, a subject that's under debate in so many organisations that we're working in at the moment. Um, you know, actually with a whole kind of range of approaches coming out of it, it'll be very interesting to see over the next um, year or so how those things land. I think uh, the point there, Sarah, is that, you know, what with a shortage for, for some skills, particularly around tech and, and so forth, and, you know, the great, uh, the great resignation and uh, wage growth and, and so forth, it's constantly evolving. So how it is today, I'm pretty sure it will not be like that in six or 12 months. I'm not sure what it will be, but it is about staying close to, uh, to people, close to the organization. But the more you make it a fulfilling day job, a fulfilling career where people feel they are fairly rewarded, that they've got a poor print on the business. I, I think that, that purpose and compelling job and feeling good about what they do, feeling good about talking to their friends or family, at the end of the day, there'll be no substitute for that in my view. Very well made point. Great. So um, this is the bit that's always uh, the most interesting I find in our Meet the CEOs, which is, um, could you give us three quick pieces um, of advice for anyone aspiring to be a CEO? Okay. One, be sure you want to be a CEO. So <laughs> the title sounds great uh, and it is great, um, but be sure it's what you want. Because it's, you know, look, it's, I've already said it's, it's very rewarding and you know, well paid, um, but it's not for everyone. Um, and there are other ways to, to, so be sure it's what you want, be, be happy and fulfilled. It's not about a title or a position. It's that make sure you feel good about getting up every morning and, and doing what you do because you, it's a big demanding job. You can, you can only be yourself. You can't try to be something that you're not because you will get found out. That would be one. Two is, you know, I'm sure everyone says this, but if I look back where I could have done things better, it's actually I knew at the outset what I needed to do. and I just didn't move quick enough or bold enough. And that's usually around people, frankly. Um, so, uh, you, you know, trust your instinct. Don't feel afraid to, to bounce ideas off others for that. But um, if you feel it's the right thing to do and, and, you know, check that, get your data points or whatever else. But if you know it's what you should be doing, get on with it. Um, but do it in a fair, transparent, open, honest way. And I think the third thing is have fun. Try, uh, from my point of view, it's, it's have fun. And I don't think people have could have got, I certainly haven't got to where I've got to without the help of a lot of people. Um, and some of those, I'm not sure sometimes people even knew what they were doing. It might just be an arm around the shoulder on a bad day. Um, but you will have had help from people. Give back, make the time, get perspectives from others, and give back to others, however you choose to do that, but give back, you've got a responsibility to do that. Fantastic, thank you so much, Stephen. It's been a pleasure having you. I would say we've certainly had fun having you here with us. So thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure, thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure to have Stephen join us today, looking for the unfiltered conversations with customers, suppliers and staff, which enable you to understand what's really going on on the ground. Stephen also talks about proactively seeking out the advantages the business needs to seize before you're forced to by the market around you. I really loved his learnings from people who've influenced him around allowing people to make the mistakes they learn from while supporting gently from the sidelines. Stephen points out the dangers of groupthink and the value of taking perspectives from people who don't think like you. He also very usefully reminds us that whilst we all battle with the new optimum post-pandemic working arrangements, the best arrangements are no substitute for ensuring our teams have truly fulfilling and compelling roles. 
Our thanks again to Stephen for sharing this time with us in this podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please do subscribe and hit the rating button. We look forward to you joining us on our next Meet the CEO.